Section 11 of Sunbeams by George W. Peck. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Horseless Carriage The day of the automobile has come, and the queer old people who try to stand in the way of its progress are going to be run over by its large tires and have the ancient wind squeezed out of them. The Chicago Park Commissioners, composed of a few old father times who may be interested in the livery business or the fertilizer industry, adopted a resolution against the automobile carriage in the parks. But a judge who was born since this country was settled, and who expected to live a few years in that city, declared that the park commissioners had no right to shut out the motor carriage, and the old fossils who tried to keep the noiseless, horseless vehicle out of society have been embalmed and placed in hermetically sealed cases in the anthropological building with the mummies. The horseless carriage has come to stay, as did the safety bicycle. When the safety first appeared, with its noiseless wind tires, horses were scared, and there were old back numbers who said these vehicles must only travel on back streets. But these old people have died, and the safety is so plenty that a horse that used to begin to snort and paw and shy at a wheel half a mile ahead would be kept pretty busy shying at the wheels that surround him on all sides. The only argument against the horseless carriage is that it might frighten horses. Anything might frighten a horse, even a baby wagon. But shall we cease to raise children because a fool horse may be frightened at a baby? That would have been the next order of the Chicago Park Commissioners that children cease to be, in the interest of the narrow-headed horse that sees in a lady's parasol an object frightful to behold. The day of the horse is numbered. He has lorded it over the people too long. The horse never was reliable. The family horse that had the lives of a dozen good people in his hands, or feet rather, would be lauded to the skies for years, and then would shy at a flying piece of paper that he ought to know, if he had an ounce of brain, was harmless. And he would run away and scatter the family all over the street. The horse has been overrated, as not one in a thousand was reliable. The young man who took his girl out riding with a horse guaranteed to be so safe you could lay the lines down on the dashboard has found, when the critical time came, that the horse needed both hands and a windlass to hold him, and that he had shied at a flower by the roadside when he ought to be going along straight, driving himself. Many a young couple have been pitched headlong into a barbed wire fence at a moment when the young man was ready to propose by a fool horse that could not tell what he was scared at if put on his oath in a court of justice. With a motor carriage, the young couple will have joy where formerly all was fear and trembling. They are seated in the motor carriage, and when he has fixed the wrap around her shoulders, and the lap-robe around her feet, and looked into her eyes to see if they are there, or thereabouts, he touches a button, and the motor begins to stutter, the carriage moves, and there you are. 
he does not have to look ahead for things the motor may get scared at, and he can attend strictly to the girl. He can steer it with his feet, so both hands are free as the air they breathe, and can move about from place to place where they can be of the most service. The motor is not bothered with flies, and does not switch its tail over the lines, compelling the lover to leave his beloved in the seat while he leans over the dashboard on his white vest and takes the tail in one hand and the lines in the other and removes the pressure and maybe gets kicked through the dashboard. The motor does not start up suddenly when a carriage comes up behind and jerk till their backs ache. The motor can be left beside the road while the young man and woman go into the woods to pick flowers, and when they come back they will not find that it has unharnessed itself, is walking on the headstall and chewing leaves off a tree like a giraffe, while the young people have to repair the harness and hire a farmer to show them how to put it on the brute that has collected all the flies for miles around and has been lying down and rolling over. The motor will not take a young couple off into the country and then get the stomach ache and have to be unhitched and led around and given medicine out of a bottle and led behind the buggy by the girl while the young man hauls the buggy in town. The motor will not squeal and whinny when it passes a farm horse cultivating corn and prance and kick up and scare a boy and girl out of their wits for fear it is going to run away. It is on the 4th of July that the motor carriage will be worth its weight in gold. The motor will not snort at the smell of powder and pull on the bit and jump over a house when the small boy throws a big firecracker under the carriage. The motor will not become frightened at the pinwheel and run upon the sidewalk and tip the young people out on the lawn, all mixed up, so they have to have water poured on them. And it will not be so frightened at the rocket that it will squat down while the rocket is going up and jump into the air when the rocket explodes. The motor will be colorblind, and when the red fire is lit it will not turn around on one wheel and kick the whiffle trees and run into a lamp post. The motor will not have to be curried off and rubbed with a brush under the stomach, which makes a horse kick and bite. The motor will not need a veterinary surgeon to cure it of scratches and splints. It can be traded without every body connected with the trade lying about its age and its soundness. You will know by the maker's mark on the back how old it is, and will not have to open its mouth, look at its teeth, and then look wise and say, It will never be ten years old again. You cannot file off the teeth of a twenty-year-old motor and sell it to a tenderfoot for a seven-year-old. You will not have to say it is perfectly gentle. A woman can drive it, and there is not a pimple on it. The motor carriage is going to be the greatest thing that ever happened, and the sun advises everybody to acquire a taste for horse meat. The horse that is eaten cannot run away and smash things. Burning a Tar Barrel Many people who read of the Dewey celebrations in Vermont are unable to understand the meaning of the burning of tar barrels at all the places where the hero was entertained. 
With electric lights, searchlights, and other methods of lighting up the gloom, these people do not see where the fun comes in in burning dirty and stuck tar barrels. Oh, the ignorance of some people. It is probable that nothing in all the celebrations in his honor in this country touched Dewey in so tender a spot as the burning of tar barrels. It is a custom as old as the country to burn tar barrels on great occasions in country towns. The empty tar barrel is sacred for great celebrations. When the tar has all been drawn out of a barrel, the barrel is not destroyed at once or burned to get rid of it, and a man who would deliberately burn a tar barrel when nothing had happened would be lynched. The tar barrel is hidden away until it is time to come on the scene. The tar barrel is never burned during a political campaign, but after election it is doomed and must come out. If a Republican owns the tar barrel and there is a Democratic victory, he tries to keep the secret that he has a tar barrel hidden and tries to save it from celebrating a victory for the other side, and vice versa. But there is always someone who knows where the tar barrel is, and before the returns are fairly counted, but the result is known, excited men and boys roll the tar barrel to the center of the street, touch a match to it, and then there is a fire for your money. As the flames and fumes of burning tar fill the air, people will come from everywhere, half-dressed as though just out of bed, and they surround the smoking pile, and all enmities cease in the light of the tar-barrel. Men who have fought each other in politics for months, ready to kill, will shake hands and say, Well, boys, you Republicans did everlastingly warm us, but we kept you guessing. And if the result is the other way, a good-natured Republican will say, as he puts his arms around a neighboring Democrat he has called a horse-thief all fall, Well, you condom old copperhead, you didn't do a thing to us, did you? And they will turn their backs to the fire, spread their coat-tails, and ask, How are all the folks to home? A thing they have forgotten to do all through the campaign. And one will say, Now, Abner, you must come over some night and bring Sarry and play cinch, and we won't talk politics for two years. When the tar-barrel burns, the people all come together. There is nothing like the tar-barrel in the country town, burning away into the small hours of the morning, with boys yelling and playing, to heal up the old sores of strife. And often the women folks cannot withstand the temptation to go downtown, smell tar, and see the boys that have been fighting the political battles of their country lock arms and bury the hatchet. And so Dewey at Montpelier, after witnessing sights such as no man had ever seen before, the destruction of the Spanish fleet, the homecoming, the grand demonstration at New York and Washington, where night was turned into day by electricity and kindred new illuminations, stood on the balcony of his hotel and saw the boys touch off the tar-barrels, and he laughed like a boy and choked up and felt that he was indeed at home again. And as the odor of pine tar filled the air, and the bright light colored the old elm trees that he played under when he was a boy, and the imps played around the burning barrels as he did when he had no shoes to his feet, 
and the people he had known when he was not a hero, except to his mother. It is not strange that tears came to his eyes and rolled down his cheeks, and he turned to his big, rough-bearded brother and said, Brother, this beats all the celebrations in all the world. I'd like to go down and touch off a tar barrel myself. Salt Water Baths for Hives An outspoken elderly lady, and a lady much younger, were sitting together in a streetcar, and a man was sitting behind them, trying to read a paper. The conversation between the ladies was something about bathing, and he could hear their opinions of hot and cold baths, sponge baths, sun baths, and all that, when the younger woman said she found that putting a little sea salt into the water was very refreshing. "'Well, I don't,' said the elderly lady, "'and I want to live long enough to get even with the druggist who sold me a bag of sea salt and said it would dissolve in a few minutes. It cut me just like broken glass when I got in the bathtub and sat down in the water.' "'Hush!' said the younger woman, as the elderly lady talked quite loud. "'That man behind will hear you.' "'I don't care if he does,' said the elderly lady. "'He won't know what we are talking about. "'You see, I couldn't go to the seashore, and I wanted salt sea baths, "'and I thought if I could get all the benefit of salt water baths for a few cents worth of salt, "'I could save money. "'I was particular to ask that man,' if those great lumps of salt would dissolve, and he said they would melt right down and mingle with the water. The liar. He knew better. Well, I put about a pint of that rock salt in the bathtub and let it soak while I was doing up my hair in a towel. And, oh, did you ever have hives? Shh! Don't talk so loud, said the younger woman. No, I never had hives. What has hives got to do with it? talk low. Well, if you ever have hives, don't rub any salt water on your legs. Shh! For heaven's sake, don't talk so loud, or I'll get right out of the car, said the younger woman. Now whisper about the sea salt. Well, I don't care. It nearly killed me, said the elderly woman. I thought the salt was all dissolved, and I got in and stepped on the soap and slipped down kerplunk. I don't believe a single grain of that salt was dissolved, and every grain of it was three-cornered, and as sharp as tacks, and goodness sakes, I was being crucified. I did not dare to yell, for you know how nervous my husband is, and he would have turned in the fire alarm, and brought the whole fire department as quick as anything. So I just laid there and squashed salt, and pretty soon the water began to get salty and got into the breaking out on me, and I thought I should scream. I jumped out of the bathtub and let the salt water out and scraped the salt out, and actually there was more salt when I took it out than when I put it in. And suffering as I was from the salt in my wounds, I had to wait almost a week, it seemed to me, before that salt water ran out of the bathtub. And then... The fresh water I wanted to rinse off the salt run so slow I liked to die before there was enough to get the salt off. Oh, but I could kill that druggist. 
Hark! What is that snickering behind us? I believe it is that druggist that told me the salt would dissolve. Don't look around. Are you going to put up any peaches this season? No, and I am not going to take any salt-water baths, said the younger woman. And she got up to leave, and both of them looked mighty sharp at the man in the seat behind them, who was making a bluff at reading the paper. End section 11 Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina